0: Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins and Asai Calderon-Muñiz.
1: We are back with another episode of the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast. We are continuing our psychology and sociology outline of the AMC, specifically 7A, thinking about personality and how different theorists saw how we are and who we are and why we are. (laughs) (laughs) the, the why we are, perhaps why we behave the way we do, not existentially why we exist. <laughs> <laughs> but today we're going to continue our conversation. And Phil, you gave us a sneak peek at the very end of our last session that we were <laughs> going to be starting off and talking about rather trait personalities and the theories that we have behind or that we're given behind trait personality. And the idea of trait personality is that we can classify people as having different traits, usually dichotomous. You're this or that, and a collection of these different traits make up who you are as a person and your personality specifically. And that these personality traits you have are generally pretty stable over time. And so, you you know you might have some some changes throughout your life, but primarily you are this or that and a collection of this or that with yes. with respect. And we're going to talk about what some of those this is and that's are today.
0: Yeah. And some different ways that different trait theorists kind of approach this. Um, so I, just a second. I know we talked about this last week, but like psychoanalysts say like your personality comes from stuff going on in your subconscious. Humanistic is all about trying to become the best versions of ourselves. And they look at us kind of a holistic, like a whole human. So a humanistic perspective um, but when you go to the trait perspective theory, like they're focused on like just specifically traits, right? I always like to say, it's like humans are just a big pile of traits to a trait perspective, um, theorist. And they're just trying to figure out are you, this or that. And then once they figure that out for you and like this big, long list of personality traits, they'll, they understand who you are as a person, um, <clears throat> within a couple of these are me. um, within this, like, trait perspective theorist, there's a lot of different people and a lot of different theories. There's not a lot of names you need to know, but I would say the one that is most often tested is called the Big Five um, theory, which is, uh, breaks things down into, or sometimes called the Ocean Theory, um, because the five categories you're looking at is somebody scoring high or low on openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So like there's five different ways that we can kind of like look at somebody and they'll score either high or low in these different traits. And so the first one is openness. Um, and so this is basically a measure of how open are you to new things. Like do you um, do you try to stay kind of closed off and you kind of just want the same like stable kind of like thing? Or do you want to go out and are you're super open to new ideas and super open to change? Um, And so that there's this like way of scoring somebody in openness, high openness, you are open to change and you like uh, maybe even pursue change. Versus um, low scoring would be like not super open to change and you tend to be a little bit. I don't want to say stuck in your ways because that's got some negative connotations, but just like you don't really enjoy change um, and you like it when things are a little bit more stable. Um, So that is the openness one, right? Note that there's also conscientiousness, which is basically um, kind of like thinking kind of internally about like how, um, like what's going on with other people as well. And just kind of like scoring high in conscientiousness means that you're thinking a lot about why I act the way I do and why others act the way they do. And just being aware of others um, falls into this a lot Um, versus low means you're just kind of a little bit less so of those things.
1: I think it's important to note that, like you hinted at, this is not black and white, good or bad, right? It's a spectrum. And there are times in our life where we need a bit of both. Sometimes we need a little bit more consistency. Sometimes we need to be open to trying new things. And so I just want to say that this isn't passing judgment, right? The The ocean theory is how, where do you kind of fall, right? So the next two are extroversion and agreeableness. And so extroversion, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. We talk about if someone's introverted versus extroverted all of the time. I think you and I balance each other out in that I'm definitely the more introverted of the two. And so um, I tend to be a little bit more uh, reserved and perhaps spend less time in larger social settings and need time to to recover, whereas folks that are more extroverted have a greater affinity towards having those social interactions and perhaps being in larger groups and almost needing, depending on how intensely they fall on one side or the other, um, needing that to recharge them. And so I have some friends who are incredibly extroverted. I get tired just at looking at how often they they are out and about. Uh, I also really quickly want to point out that you can be extroverted and have a life outside of medical school when you start medical school. It is not that you have to disconnect from the world. So I just really quickly (laughs) wanted to say that for the extroverts that are listening and the other one being agreeableness. So how friendly are you as a person versus um, you know, just very critical and and um, perhaps a little bit harder to to not even I don't even want to say get along because that also has some negative connotations. Um, but almost a social openness, if you will. Uh, whereas, like you were talking about with the openness, it being with experiences. Um, agreeableness perhaps being more from an emotional aspect of um, that openness.
0: Yeah, I feel like if the MCAT was going to ask a tricky question, like agreeableness and conscientiousness might be like ones that they would focus on because it can be a little Mm -hmm. bit tricky between them. So the agreeableness is, like you mentioned, kind of like it's about kind of other people, like how much do you trust other people, um, like how, how much empathy and how much concern for other people um you have. And so there's a little bit of of difference there. Like if you really enjoy spending a lot of time helping and and like, like working in groups, like that might actually be something I consider more agreeableness than extroversion. Um, yeah. Extroversion has a lot to do with like energy around people like wanting to help other people is a little bit different than like I love being around people right like that's (laughs) not necessarily the same thing so there's also something a little bit tricky there that they could ask about but the conscientiousness thing like there is a lot of like this is where a lot of thoughtfulness kind of comes in like um like kind of paying attention to detail and thinking about things and And preparing and being like organized Organized. is kind of where a lot of that conscientiousness comes in. Um, And so being thoughtful, a lot of times people think like that's kind of the same as being agreeable. And like that's not necessarily the same, right? Like recognizing, like if I spend a lot of time and I'm very thoughtful and I recognize kind of how you're feeling, but I'm not going to go along with you and I'm not going to help you. In that case, I'm being very conscientious, but I'm not being being very agreeable right? But I still do understand. Now, you could have the flip of that, which is somebody who really wants to help but does not understand what's going on, (laughs) (laughs) who is who is like, yeah, let me do this. And you're like, that is not what we need in this scenario. Um, So that would be a very agreeable but not necessarily conscientious. And so these two things kind of work together sometimes.
1: There is, I think, a really good example of this in how we respond to when someone is going through something difficult. So let's say a friend or a family member reaches out and says, "Man, like I just had a really bad day." One of the fav- one of my favorite things that I have learned to ask over the years is, "Okay, do you need to vent? Do you need emotional support or do you need troubleshooting?" And I think that puts us in a better place to help other people because we don't assume that we know what they need. And I think that goes to maybe some of that conscientiousness and then the agreeableness being, you know, you want to help, um, but you're doing so in a conscientious manner. And if anyone's listening to this and, you know, the next time someone someone comes to you with some trouble and just feeling really down, maybe try asking them. Uh, it has saved me from <laughs> from some tougher situations. Uh, but I remember, I think I should heard it on a podcast at, at one point. Um uh, I think I'm biased in enjoying podcasts because this is what we do. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that I <laughs> I think
0: I am growing to be more conscientious. Um, I'll admit, <laughs> like, I am very agreeable, but a lot of times I misunderstand scenarios and situations. Uh, I'm thinking specifically there's someone in my family um, who has a like sensory processing uh, disorder disorder. Where a lot of times if there's so much stuff going on, like their brain is kind of overstimulated and they can't kind of process things. And so they have some some issues with that. And so a lot of times if there's lots of things going on, especially sensory things, um, and I'm trying to talk to them, they'll just be like, I don't understand. And like, I don't understand. And so uh, like my gut reaction, like as somebody who... Like, my whole life is built around trying to explain things, and I pride myself on being pretty good at explaining complex things. And so I'm like, okay, let's go in here more. And I keep diving in. I'm like, they're already dealing with so much stuff coming in that me piling on more stuff is making it worse. And this is something that took me a long time to realize, like years, that when they say, like, I don't understand and I notice these certain things in the way that they're acting, I'm like, oh, their problem is not that they don't understand. The problem is that there's too much stuff going on. And like, like what's best for me is actually to be silent and try to calm and like reduce like the amount of sensory inputs coming in. Even though my gut impulse, anytime somebody says, I don't understand is to dive in and like get more complicated and get more interested. And that tends to make things worse. And so that's a good example of me being very agreeable at times, but not necessarily conscientious because I was misunderstanding kind of what was going on here. It wasn't that they like they needed it clarified. It was that their brain is like not able to handle this stuff coming in because there's too many, too much sensory information coming in. So the last one, um, we've only talked about four of these is neuroticism, right? So it's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. Note that that spells ocean O C E A N. So neuroticism, it has a lot to do with like, it's characterized by like moodiness and like emotional stability and instability. Um, If you have a, a high neuroticism, like this is one of the ones where high is actually not necessarily a good thing. Um which is a little bit different here. And so these people uh have a lot of anxiety, sometimes struggle to bounce back from things, they can get upset easily, they like mood shifts. And so high neuroticism is not necessarily a great trait to have. Um I think this is one of the few that um some physicians consider like this is the only one where um, like a disorder, like you might consider it to be a disorder to be like on one end of this spectrum between high and low. Um, so high neuroticism often is correlated with depression, anxiety, like things like that. Um, low neuroticism therefore is going to be like super stable and like not much, like they're being very relaxed all the time and less concern and they're dealing well with stress. And so that would be a low neuroticism score for that.
1: Yeah, there's, like you said, there is some some more, is this particularly good or not with neuroticism? And I think in general, it gets inherently in just in society, it gets an immediate bad rap the moment you say the word. But like you're saying, there is this spectrum and being Mm -hmm. on either end of the spectrum, you know, to the extremes can be problematic. Yeah. Um, And I think it's worth noting that we're talking about trait perspective and individual traits. I do want to separate this from type um, because up until now, we've, you know, focused on the individual aspects and the different components of personality. I just want to take a moment and I realize we didn't discuss this earlier. That's different from type when you associate a group of these with one person as a personality. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to do that is because our next topic is you're you're very, you're much less likely to see it on the MCAT. You probably won't. Um, but I think it's really fun to talk about, especially because when we think about personalities in our everyday world, this is what we think about, right? And the Myers Briggs and Type A personalities. These are generally type um, rather than trait personality and components. And I bet a good chunk of our listeners have probably done Myers-Briggs before and have their personality type. Um, and so these are going to be, um, the the letters correspond to different traits that make up a type. And so we were chatting about our um, Myers-Briggs personalities And so one of the very first ones that you'll encounter is actually something that was in the ocean traits, and that's going to be introversion versus extroversion. And unlike the ocean traits, it's not a spectrum of just one. It's you have these two traits and consider a 50-50 split in the middle. And do you land more on introversion versus do you land more on extroversion and then assigning one of the two? Um, And there's, you know, something else for um, whether you are a more observant person of smaller details versus taking a look back and step back, Um, whether you are more influenced by feelings versus critical thinking or you more of a planner or go with the flow. And so these should resonate a little bit with some of the ocean traits that we talked about. They have different terms. Um, but there is some overlap. And so one of the things that I like about this is that we we as people have certain traits that we value that we think are important. And a lot of these trait personalities uh, and trait personality theories are centered around things that in society we value, that in society we think are important. We're talking about um, this addition that I feel like came uh, came up in the last couple of years with the Myers-Briggs personality in particular, mm-hmm. and that's this addition of asserted, assertive versus turbulent. And I think it has some overlap with neuroticism in that it's how much are you influenced by your emotions versus how stable are you in the face of stressors? And it's, it just speaks again, I think, to we want to know more about ourselves Uh with respect to traits that we think are important in society. And, you know, type A versus type B is similar in that regard. Type A, I think a lot of pre-meds fall under this category, needing to have things a certain way. Um, And this next word has some negative connotations, but again, it it matters in some context and it's good to have in some degree, but control, right, over situations. Um, This uh, tendency towards wanting things to be, you know, perfect and whatnot. So I think a lot of people throw that around too. Oh, I'm type A. And I don't think I hear people say I'm type B very often. Yeah, I think you hear it a lot more uh, from people who identify as uh, type A. But I think there's a lot of richness in this. It's not perfect. And I do think that throughout our lives, there are changes and we might go back and forth depending on where we are in our life, our experiences. Um, but it being a good tool to take stock of where you're at and maybe how you can become a more balanced person in one trait or or another, if that's something that you're interested in.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot here. I actually think that I'm a little bit more Type B, which feels like I, I know, <laughs> like I'm I've definitely felt like I'm very go with the flow and kind of whatever. Um, I do think that people who are Type A tend to have more of a not always, but more of an internal locus of control. Like, I need to make this perfect because that's something I can do because I'm in control of my life. Um, versus type B, a lot of times they, they're kind of go with flow. A lot of times they feel like they can't shape the world around them. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. That's not the case with me. I'm of probably too <laughs> high self-efficacy. We've definitely got um, that. <laughs> but there is um, some difference between this. I do want to circle back to this, like... Um, this like trait versus type, right? So what happens with like type A and type B, everyone gets lumped into one of these or the other. Um, Or looking at the Myers-Briggs, like I am like an INTP. Um, And so everyone who's an INTP gets kind of lumped together. But the thing with the Myers-Briggs is like when you're scoring, like let's say the introversion, extroversion, the first half of this. So you could be like INTP or ENFP or ESFJ. So you don't really need to know this. It is fun to take this personality test and figure out which type do I fit under. But when if if I'm doing like introversion versus extroversion and I show up like, oh, I'm 51% introversion and 49% extroversion, I get lumped into the same group as people that are 100% introversion. (laughs) Um, And so... Like it's more kind of like just like roughly kind of like throwing people into groups, but there might actually be a lot more wiggle room between those. Um, I think that the like Myers-Briggs stuff and the type A and type B, those don't show up as often on the MCAT because they are not as nuanced and which yeah, is not as useful as like the big five, which is like scoring somebody like numerically on this category, right? Like openness or conscientiousness. And so like, that's a little bit more interesting. The MCAT has definitely tested the big five um, a lot to the point where they may not even bring up all five. They may bring up just agreeableness and neuroticism and a passage. And the moment you see those words, you need to be thinking big five, this is the ocean theory of trait perspective. And so even if you're not seeing all of them, like sometimes they'll just get kind of like sprinkled in, like we added a survey to ask them about agreeableness and you're like, oh, they're testing big five is what they're doing here. And you need to understand and make that connection. So that's definitely the one that is most likely to show up. But I think everyone kind of likes, I, I don't wanna speak yeah. for anyone else. I It's kind of fun to like do those tests, like really trait perspectives are looking at like, what kind of groups do you fall into? You see this all the time on, like, Facebook, like, which uh, Hogwarts house are you, right? I'm a Ravenclaw, in case anybody was wondering. Um, But, like, just do, or, like, which character from this TV show are you, or which Disney princess are you, or, like, what's kind of a thing going on there? And so that's kind of looking at things as, like, characteristics and traits and trying to group people um, into, into different types, right? Are you a Jasmine or are you an Ariel, right, sort of thing? Um, and so that is, that's something that is, um, kind of very common and like, you should just be kind of making connections. I don't think you're likely to get us tested. You're not going to get tested on which Hogwarts house are you, um, but it would be cool. It would be cool. Um, but the, like the whole perspective here of looking at people as kind of like different traits and grouping them, is something that I think for some reason just resonates with a lot of people and it's kind of fun to do this. Um, I think you mentioned that there's there's also some other ones. Um, Yeah.
1: I I, first I should not be surprised that you're a Ravenclaw. (laughs) I hadn't thought about which house you might be before, Um, but I should not at all be surprised by that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah. So the love languages is another one that I have personally found really interesting. There's also one from the same person that's, I think, apology languages. And it's this idea of how um, do you prefer to give an experience love and not just romantically, also, you know, platonically and in families and with friends and things like that. The idea being, are you someone that's more um, touch oriented versus acts of service and doing things for other people? Yeah. Um, some people are gifts, quality time. What's the other one. There's another one. Yeah. Um, Well, it's irrelevant. You're not going to get tested on the the MCAT, but it's also just really interesting. I think a lot of a lot of this is, you know, a lot of what draws people to these different types and trait personality theories on social media in general is because it helps you. It can help you understand. And I think it can also, even with the love languages and the apology languages, help understand other people better. Again, it's these are not perfect. These are not set in stone. Uh, but it's interesting to to think about. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I personally I personally find them really interesting. Yeah. And I think it's nice to be
0: able to look at your own self and like certain traits. And like it can help you yeah. understand a facet of you, which is often a lot easier to do than mm-hmm. looking at like from a humanistic perspective, like a big all-encompassing, yeah. like that becomes too difficult to deal with. Yeah. But this is also, especially with the big five, something that is easily measurable. Okay. And that's why it shows up a lot in the psych section, is because like because it's a measurable thing. Like all of a sudden, you can graph like so how well, what, how many people who are smokers are also score high in openness, and so you can start to understand some like medical implications of these, and it's measurable and testable, and that's something that is always good in science. Um, there is one other main trait perspective theory, which is uh, Gordon Allport's. Um, approach to this. Um, And so Gordon, um, good friend Gordo, um, he looked at things and (laughs) said, okay, it's not really about what traits you have, but it's about how important those traits are to you. So for some people, like honesty might be a really important thing, but somebody else like also thinks honesty is good, but it's just like not as important to them. And so Allport breaks up traits into different categories. There's like cardinal traits, um, which are the most important. Then you have primary. I know that's confusing. Primary Wait. is somehow the second <laughs> most important. And secondary, which is the that's third most tertiary. important. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I, I wish he would change this a little bit, or I wish I could go back in time and <laughs> have him change this. But it's cardinal, primary, and secondary. And I think always the best way um, to talk about these is with examples. Um, and so talking about myself specifically, um, honesty is important. Like people should be honest, but it's not the most important thing (laughs) to me. Um, there are times when I'm talking to, uh, like friends, I will bend the truth of a story to make it more entertaining, to make it more fun. Right. And so if something happened to someone, I like my, my cousins, like a uh, boyfriend's uh, friend, right? I'm not going to say that in a story. I'm like, oh, a friend of mine, blah, 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 blah. Because and- like it makes the story flow better. It makes it more entertaining. And that's, I, I think that's worth it. But right? I'm mean, going to bend the truth to make this a little bit more entertaining. Um, I have a friend of mine who is, who would never do that, right? Are they
1: actually a friend of yours? Yeah. And they're <laughs> like,
0: yeah, this person is a friend of mine. Um, I have, it's one of my best friends from med school where he would say, right? My cousin's boyfriend's friend did this thing. And like, I'm like, and like my storytelling mind is like, why would you like, I don't need to know, like, that's not integral to this. And so like, just say your friend and I'm fine with it. Um, and so, so honesty is something I would probably consider a secondary trait to me. I'll also sometimes bend the truth a little bit, um, not on like facts, but if I'm trying to tell a story to help the student remember something Um, I'll simplify and adjust the story to make it stick in their heads better because I know it's going to help them learn more effectively. Um, and that's more important to me. It's like being entertaining or being like helping like the educational process. Like if I tell a story from when I was eight, like whether or not it happened exactly like that doesn't really matter. But if it helps a student learn this better, it's worth it. So for me, honesty is probably a secondary trait. Um, Humor and entertainment is more important to me. So that might be like a primary trait. Um, but it's not a cardinal trait. So cardinal traits are the big overarching things that control and guide the shape of your life. Um, so if you look at a at a map, like the north, south, east, west, like little icon in the bottom of a map, that's called the cardinal rose. And that's why you call these cardinal traits because they're the ones that help you navigate your life. So If like entertainment and humor was a cardinal trait, then I probably wouldn't have gone to college. Or if I had, it would have been for like creative writing or something. Um, I would be much more likely to go into stand-up comedy or like writing for like a sitcom or making YouTube videos that are humorous and entertaining or something along those lines. All the big decisions in my life would be shaped around that. So for me, um, honesty is kind of secondary, entertainment and humor is kind of primary. But my cardinal trait, um, like the main trait that I have is pursuit of knowledge and sharing knowledge. I love to learn new things, and I love to share that with other people. And that's why when I went to undergrad, I was a triple major in physics, biology, and chemistry. And then I took a uh, a class in philosophy, and I loved it so much that I added a philosophy minor just because I want to learn all this stuff, and I enjoyed it. And then I did MD-PhD where I want to like keep learning and going into this. And then as I made it farther into medical school, I realized that the path I was going down was not leading to educating people. It was leading towards just like practicing in a clinic or doing research. And while the research side of learning things is really like interesting to me, the thing that I get most excited about is teaching and working with people and learning new stuff and spreading that knowledge and so, like, a, taking in knowledge and spreading it is a cardinal trait for me. And so that's why I went to college. That's why I went to med school. That's why I left med school. That's why I have the job that I have now. And so it, I didn't really understand that until I started thinking about, until I learned about Gordon Altor. but that is definitely a cardinal trait for me. It's something that is guiding and shaping my life.
1: Yeah. And I want to say that, you know, everyone is going to have different cardinal traits, yeah. primary traits, secondary traits. And, you know, there's not one perfect one to have. It's it's a spectrum in in the sense that people have different collections of of traits. And we kind of need that in society. We need people who their passion is not just the collection of knowledge, but the transmission of knowledge. Right. We need people that um, are one of their cardinal treats might be humor. we We need to laugh and things like that, yeah, and or honesty,
0: like somebody who's yes. a lawyer or a judge. Yes. like, <laughs> I am just trying to find the truth of what happened here. And, like, that's what they care about,
1: yeah. it's It's funny because, as you were talking and you said that honesty was not one of you. I was just like, oh, <laughs> we, yeah, we are different. <laughs> um, but again, I think this is why it makes it just more more fun and enjoyable. Um for me, that is one of. I don't know if it would be one of my cardinal ones or primary. I'd have to think a little bit more about it. But that's part of why, you know, I'm interested in asking the why for, you know, to a patient and, you know, knowing, okay what's happening and then acting on that. And so I think that's tied in probably with with an action trait, um, a more action oriented trait. But in any case, that's that will not be our individual cardinal and primary traits will not be (laughs) studied. tested on the MCAT. But you should know the difference between these. And again, just really keeping in mind that primary does not mean primary. It means secondary and secondary means tertiary. Yeah. And that's Um, something that's a little bit obnoxious. I do want to say
0: this is actually something that I think is good for you guys to listen to if you're in the midst of applying to med school and things like that. We are building your personal statement. Yeah. Really, that whole thing should be around, like, what are the things that drive you? Like, you can kind of put in your personal statement as tell us your cardinal traits. (laughs) Um, And so, like, spending some time thinking about that might actually be um, a useful thing, like, in your application to med school, even if it's not for the MCAT specifically.
1: Yeah. Even in your interviews. Honestly, because if you're thinking about so the your application I I don't think we meant to talk about this, but but your personal (laughs) your personal statement is a window into who you are. Right. And, you know, it's it's associated with the collection of numbers and the activities you do. And by the time you get an interview, the med school is saying, okay, I think I have an idea of how you are as a person and I like what I'm seeing so far, come and interview with us and let's see if that actually holds and if you would be a good fit for us, right? We like what we're seeing on paper. Yeah. And so making sure that those cardinal traits that you are showing and not telling in your personal statement also come through in your conversations during an interview and, you know, prioritize if, if they're talking, for example, if you're having a conversation about what, if they ask you, what would you do in this scenario? right? Your cardinal trait should come through. Your primary traits should come through. We talked about morality um, and, you know, Kohlberg a couple of, of weeks ago. And, you know, people, you could theoretically get a question on something like that. And, you know, is is stealing wrong versus right sometimes? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just so much richness to it and different ways to share how you are as a person and what you value during the interview um, cycle. And so take advantage of that, because I always say this and it was the best. I think it was truly the best, if not one of the best pieces of advice that I got right before I started interviewing. And it it was, yes, they are interviewing you, but you're also interviewing them, because at the end of the day, you don't want to go to a medical school that you're not going to feel supported, that you're not going to feel part of the community, that you're going to be, you know, isolated the entire time. (laughs) And so I think that's incredibly important. One of the reasons that I chose HMS, the primary reason I chose HMS, I would say, is actually because of the people that I met on interview day and revisit. So really look at that. Just that also gives you some sense of empowerment and decreases some of the anxiety on interview day.
0: Right. It's also good to keep in mind that, like, there's lots of different types of physicians and different traits would do work well with different types of medicine. I know that we're not trying to go super deep into this, yes. but my best friend from med school is a pathologist. And um, like he has talked often about how like if he talks to a patient, the patient's going to have a bad day. And so is he. <laughs> right. Like I like I don't like he's like, I don't like talking to patients. Like I put me in the lab down in the basement with some microscopes and I am happy. And <laughs> that is so different from how I uh, like what I loved about medicine was working with the patients, right? Like talking to people. I like that kind of extroverted side of me would come out. And um, it's important to understand that different uh, physicians have different things. And so when you're doing your interviews, it's good to know like what are the traits that are specific to you and empower you and things that you get excited about and interested in and getting those across. Because sometimes the person interviewing you Might be a very different kind of personality. And so, like, they might be asking you questions about the things that they really care about, their cardinal traits. Mm -hmm. And those are like secondary traits for you. And so, like, that interview might not go super well because they're asking you about the things that you're not really that passionate or interested in. And so, going into like an interview, knowing like, these are the things that I really want to get across about who am I and what do I care about? Like, who am I as a person? And so, being able to Keep that in mind when you're answering Mm -hmm. questions and not that you want to mislead or not answer questions, but being able to kind of like approach like a topic from a different angle and be like, well, here's actually how I see it. And like going Mm -hmm. in and like talking about that. And that is a way better interview where like the person I'm interviewing is super interested and engaged, and they're looking at it from different perspectives. And then all of a sudden it turns into a conversation where we're both looking at that. And so Not that you're, like, misleading the conversation and talking about something else entirely, but being able to come in and address something from a different perspective, like, that's something that medicine needs, is is more people who are willing to do that. So, just keeping that in mind, it's great that we all have different cardinal and primary traits because that helps us be more effective and holistic in the medicine because people are coming at this from different angles.
1: Absolutely. So, we... We kind of went on an aside, um, but bringing us back to the last one, the last personality theory that we're going to talk about today in this episode is the biological uh, perspective of personality. And so this might seem odd in that we often think about our our body separately from our minds Mm -hmm. and they are still so incredibly intertwined. So the biological perspective says that um, part of our personality and specifically psychological states and psychological disorders are influenced by underlying biology, right mm-hmm. So genetic factors uh, factors that are perhaps structural changes in our brain um, or damage that can happen these are these things have the potential to influence your personality. They can also influence the um, and cause psychological disorders. And we haven't talked about these in quite some time, but you will be tested on psychological disorders on test day in the psych section. So you do need to know those. Um, and in a very long time ago, very old podcast episodes, maybe we should do some refreshers on those at some point. Um, we talked about how there are genetic contributions that we suspect for a lot of uh, mental health illnesses and, and disorders And this biological perspective is essentially accounting for that as well. And there also accounts for the effect that the environment and environmental stressors can have through our Mm -hmm. biology on our personality and on our um, psychological state. And some of the things that come to mind that are really important, some of which you can be tested on test day, is thinking about the different lobes of the brain, right? Mm Right. If we think about our frontal prefrontal cortex, thinking about how um, how much we can control what we're doing and um, our how our development for decision making, our development for being able to analyze things, those are going to influence our personality. Thinking about the hormones that are surging through our bodies at different points in time can absolutely affect how we respond to stressors. we've talked about cortisol so much in this mm-hmm. podcast. But if you think about, you know when when you have this fight or flight when you have stress responses, cortisol coming in, um, and that puts us in an inflammatory an inflammatory state, but also can increase some of of that anxiety. If you think about serotonin and dopamine, I think those are more clearly associated with psychological states. and we know that they can influence our mood. And so hormones also play a huge role. Medications can alter our neurotransmitters, think Mm -hmm. antidepressants. There are some others that are not intended to act on our psychological states, but can, thinking about other medications for neurological um, illness. And one of the ones that I I have some strong associations with is a medication called Keppra. That is used to prevent seizures. It's an anti-epileptic, anti-seizure medication, and it is. You could look it up, and it's Kepra Rage. Like Kepra is known to cause changes in personality and have someone become more aggressive than they actually are. So, uh-huh. and so the medications, the the illnesses that we can have acutely can cause so many changes in personalities. Thinking about that patient who comes in who is acting aggressively because they have, uh, you know, underlying electrolyte imbalance and have had a brain bleed. And, you know, maybe they also on top of everything have an infection and a UTI and it's just this perfect storm, but that's not who they are. Right. Um, And so there's so much that biologically can influence how we behave, our psychological state, what appears to be our personality at any given point in time. And so keeping that in mind, it's also even though it's somewhat straightforward and a little weird because we don't often think of our mind as being connected to yeah our physical body it's a really rich topic yeah and a lot of people it kind of makes sense like that mind
0: body separation a lot of people don't want to be like well obviously this person's a jerk because of biology right and there is yeah. something like you don't want to like remove the um I don't know, like the empowerment of like people are in control of their own actions. And sometimes yeah. saying that sometimes people feel like I'm making excuses for this guy being a jerk. Right. Or or something like that. Like he's mean because of his biology. But there is something to this. Right. Like we <laughs> do know that certain drugs and medications and things will change the way you act. I mean, just hangry. I get hangry all the time. <laughs> like if i haven't eaten like my i sometimes have like a shorter fuse and like all of a sudden i'm 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 I'm, i've actually i think really good control of emotions but like there are times when i'm like okay like we're kind of having like a little bit of an uh almost an argument in in my with my like significant other i'm like i think we're both hungry right is what's going on here we should eat and then see if we're both still angry because i think it's we're just hungry um but like It's very obvious and easy to see that like testosterone, like we know roid rage, like people who take a lot of testosterone can end up being more aggressive and can lead to like rage, like roid rage. But you could also imagine somebody has just a mutation with their testosterone receptors. And so they're like, let's say it's slightly higher affinity. And so essentially, because of that mutation, they have kind of more testosterone effect or more effect from testosterone. And so even though their testosterone levels might not be that different, like the, it might have a a stronger effect on that person. So you take two people and one is going to have more of that testosterone effect and maybe like a little bit more anger and shorter fuse, a little bit more aggressive for somebody who's a little bit more passive and like, you know, kind of go with the flow. And so obviously like biology can factor into this. Also just overall like neurostructures, like you mentioned the frontal lobe and that controls a lot with like inhibitions. I think (laughs) the... The best example of this is Phineas Gage, um, who was a very famous case in neurology. Um, He was a guy that worked with the railroad and there was this horrible accident where a railroad spike got blown through his head and it like went through and knocked out a bunch of his prefrontal cortex. Um, Like the spike was like, like literally went in his head and then out of his head and in and out of his skull. Um, And there are... Like everyone says that before the accident that he was kind of a leader and everyone liked working with him and he was very social and fun to be around. But his personality changed as a result of this um, brain injury where the frontal like cortex deals a lot with inhibitions and controlling your behavior. So he had no inhibitions and he was saying things that were really mean and cursing and he was very aggressive to the point where... Um, the place where he worked said like, we won't, he can't work here anymore because he is like, even though he is healed physically from this mentally, he is a different person and we don't want to work with this guy. Um, Kind of shining a light that like, there is like a like biological kind of a component to this and like tumors and strokes and uh, traumatic brain injuries can cause personality changes um, because of the effect on like the biology affecting overall personality.
1: Yeah, it's just kind of, as you know, I like bringing things to as future physicians, as future med students, how are you going to practice things to keep in mind? And something to keep in mind is that your patients may initially present aggressively. They may present rudely or uninhibited and being very cautious that you're not labeling them as that is who they are because that can produce a lot of judgment and stigma from other providers and change how those other providers treat the patient whereas once you start treating the underlying condition you know you're you could very well see a change in personality and see that they are a bit more like themselves and oftentimes you'll hear family members come in and say this is not what they're like this is not who they are and listening to the family yes. when they say that is incredibly important because, you know, we've had situations where, you, and you mentioned stroke, one of the things that was on our differential, one of the things we were thinking about because the family said this is not wh- their baseline is could they have had a stroke? And part of why they're having a hard time communicating with us is maybe they have an aphasia, right? right. Maybe, maybe they have Broca's aphasia and oh snap, we don't want to miss a stroke for this um, rather than it being caused for something else or being part of their baseline. And you can imagine that if somebody's having a hard time communicating, they're going to be frustrated and they're going to have a shorter fuse and you're <laughs> they're not going to be as cooperative, so to speak. And so making sure that you actually use that data, that information, which feels subjective, but yeah. you have a reference point with family members to help guide your thinking. And perhaps you find something that otherwise could have gone unnoticed. And so Having that curiosity, trying to find out that information, trying not to label patients um, as (laughs) non-compliant and aggressive and things like that before having a better understanding because you could alter someone's care both positively, as we've talked about so many times, but also negatively. So we have this responsibility to work to understand our patients and recognize, like you're saying, that, yeah, it's not always that someone's a jerk just because they're a jerk. Maybe they have some biological, biochemical contribution.
0: Yeah. And this this is like a, a really big thing um, uh, and why it's important to talk to family members because yeah. you might think that that's just the way this person is. But then you talk to them and like, oh, they're not normally like this, like mm-hmm. their, their personality has changed. And like that is a big yep. clue to you as a physician that there is something going on. And I think that is something, honestly, that a lot of physicians under uh, underappreciate and don't mm-hmm. focus on as much as they should. Um, And why like there's there's really important data points and personality shifts are huge um, Mm -hmm. and kind of the implications of that. Um, But yeah, so that's a big, a big part of this. I also know that like you were kind of saying like maybe that's not who they are. Right. Another way to think about this is like maybe that is who they are, but that's why we all are the way we are. It's like there's a biological perspective to this. And like I would be the same if I was in the same scenario. And just recognizing that even if someone like you see is a jerk, like maybe there's something going on mm-hmm. that is causing that. And like maybe there's something in like, I, I don't want to say that's not who they are because like maybe the regular jerks in society also have some like imbalance or something going on. And that if I was to say in the same situation, I think just having some empathy for, their, for that and understanding that a lot of that might have to do with biology and like these like medical things going on. And I think when you start to kind of look at things that way, you understand like, okay, maybe it isn't just this person's a jerk. Like maybe there's like something going on here that is leading someone to act that
1: way. Yeah. Maybe a better way to phrase it would be not how they typically behave. Yes. Right. Because that's, that's what we can see. We can see behavior. We can't, exactly. We can't, you know, know exactly why someone is behaving the way they are or what's going through their mind. We observe. We are we all observe other people. We observe ourselves and we can understand why we do things or what's going through our head, but not others. Oh, and really quickly, because it's a car's nugget and I had it and I can't let it go. Um, But for the car section, when you get a question, right, for example, if you get a question asking, you know oh what was the reasoning for um for this particular person that was mentioned in the passage and that doesn't that's not asking why the author included them or discussed them that's different but know that unless you're given a reason as to why someone in a passage did something it's really hard to actually say what their motive was yeah. right or what they were thinking so this kind of thought process and critical analysis can help you not just in the psych-soc section and understanding the different terms, but you can also apply this to different sections of the MCAT in addition to like what we're talking about, your everyday life. Yeah.
0: What one last thing, kind of like talking about changes in personality, you were saying like, like we can't understand what's going on in other people's heads and what's going on with them. And what's interesting, like kind of tying this back to conscientiousness and <laughs> ocean, ocean, um, you might not be aware of what's going on with yourself, right? And so like, yeah. you may ask a patient, like, "Do you, have you had any personality changes? And they're going to say, no, like, yep. leave me alone. But then you talk to the family and they're like, yeah, like, we have noticed things. And so that's something that's a little bit different. That also kind of goes to psychoanalysts. <laughs> like, sometimes <laughs> people aren't aware of what's going on in their own mm-hmm. heads. And so it get, comes to a point where, like, those extra data points of, like, Asking outside, like, yep. like a spouse or children or parents, like, have you noticed any changes in personality? Um, they may be able to give you give you something with that. And now that might be a biological thing, but it also could be other things like social mm-hmm. stuff and things outside of that. We're gonna talk about that more next week as we finish <laughs> up with the like personality theories note that we've covered psychoanalysts and humanists last week, this week's trait perspective and biological perspective. We're going to be talking about a couple of more uh, ways of looking at personality next week. Um, So tune in because you won't want to miss that one.